I want to win again for sure, but like my next goal is, is Bathurst. Now that uh, emphasis on that raises and I need to try and get that done. When I first took over the team at the end of 2012, beginning of 2013, uh, weren't especially rosy, but we managed to win a, a race with Chaz Mostert that year in, in July and I thought, gee, this caper's bloody easy. Hey, I'm David Reynolds from Penrite Racing and this is Inside Supercars. Welcome to Inside Supercars. We're in our post-Adelaide review and we have gathered some well-known and established and knowledgeable motor racing brains around us, apart from mine. And First off, we'll just introduce them. We've got Peter Norton, a photographer who's been on the game for how long? Uh, about 19 years now. 19 years. Yeah. He's learning it and he's going to push the F-stop at the right place anytime soon. Uh, with enough practice, I'll get it right eventually. Thank you very much for joining us, Peter. Next of all, we've got Adrian Mussolino, who actually is probably almost the best credential because he has a big title as the editor of V8X magazine. Supercar Extra, actually. Supercar Extra, sorry, name change. Name change for a new season. Okay, new change, name change. New title sponsor. Welcome on board, Adrian. Thank you. The resident Italian in the group, and we've just had pizza, and it's terrific. And resident South Australian as well. And resident South Australian. And soon to be the author of, well, maybe not soon, the author of a book on the history of the South Australian Adelaide Grand Prix, which will be excellent. Craig Ravel, of course, who's been running... Inside Motorsports for 20 years, no. and Tony Whitlock, who is the old man of the group, and if I need a walking stick at some stage, I'm sure they'll offer up to me. So what we're going to do is just have a, a bit of a review on the weekend, because it was the hit-out of the Mustang, it was the opening season, what's been not enormous changes, but certainly enough changes to to you know, warrant having a look at the season to start. So first off, give me an impression, first of all, Peter, we'll start with you, on race race one, Saturday. To me, the whole weekend actually was a weekend of great contrasts. Contrast between the excitement of the new, but under the skin, it was all so much the same. All the excitement of new teams, new cars, but really it was the same kind of results. Saturday race, um, it was the usual culprits at the, at the front with DJR, Team Penske and the Red Bull. Uh, probably the only surprise was the pole position uh, with Fabian Coulthard. Yeah, and of course, who suffered the ignominy of having a penalty on the opening race of the year. Adrian, your feelings on the, the race? Yeah, I didn't know what to expect with the new transaxle and the change to the linear springs, and I thought it might jumble the results a bit, but then we rolled out, and there's the Red Bull Holdens and the Shell Ford Mustang, so you know it didn't change the pecking order that greatly. Don't know if that's an Adelaide thing or it'll change. Street circuits can produce, you know some sort of they can accentuate gaps sometimes so it'll be interesting to see how we roll out because 12 months ago we were fearing the dominance of the new Commodore but then a Falcon won the championship so we have to wait and see. In my opinion Saturday was boring as batshit. <laughs> it was sorted out at the start and it was a straight race and as some others in the media said and suggested to me this is what happens when you have 24 cars within a second of each other and no-one really makes a lot of mistakes these days with cars. So I think the Saturday race, Scotty Mack had the perfect start for uh, the Shell V-Power team and really, uh, had it not been for Lee Holsworth sticking in the fence and then Scott Pye joining him there, no, it would be so... 
was unmemorable that we would just skip straight to race two. Well, the interesting thing was also it was a green race. Hmm. No safety cars, no hold-ups, no nothing. So there was very little variation in strategies. It all sort of ran to course. Um, and when you look down the, you know, the, the list, that certainly there were some strong performers, but guys who have performed well in Adelaide before, and that by Will Davison, obviously he's in the same car essentially, but the new Mustang, um, yesterday. And, of course, um, Nick Perkett, who's won the race before, so he was well up there. But all the rest of them, until you get down to ninth place, and it's Mark Winterbottom. And, of course, he's in the newest system because he's got a new car, new team, mm. everything's different. And so that's their contrast with today. And there were six of the top ten were, in fact, standouts. Mm. Um, and, you know, and some of them, such as Todd Halesawood, hasn't been in the rarefied air of qualifying in a top ten before, mm. hasn't been <laughs> done a shootout, and bang, he came home in ten. So that's fantastic. And it's just wonderful to see some of those new combinations, but also some of the old ones like Slade and Percat mm. delivering for the Joneses with a, a fifth and a sixth. Oh, sorry, a fourth and a fifth, in fact. Mm. You know, I mean, that's a tremendous sort of a result, really, for them. Especially after what happened to Macaulay Jones earlier in the weekend, it was looking for like a nightmare for the team and fantastic for them to get a result at a track where they've not always performed that well. Street circuits have sometimes been difficult for them. They did snag a win here with Fabian a few years ago, but otherwise it's been a challenge and two South Australians as well, so yeah. great result for yeah. them. But yeah, the Macaulay accident, that really set them up for a difficult weekend, so it was great recovery. There's mm. no great surprise that he didn't bounce back because, you know, I mean, it's pretty hard for team and driver to recover from those things. Absolutely. They were, you know, they did well to get back out there on the Sunday given that impact. Spoke to Brad and he said he expects a, a bill for equipment and parts to be around the $60,000 mark. Yeah. And then I said, well, what about labour? And he's gone... You know, you're looking at six to eight people for 12 hours. That's uh, going to get up there as well. So, you know, it, it probably translates to almost $100,000 in repairs if you take that view of it, parts and labour. And what fascinated me is we saw um, the extract guys who were here this weekend and uh, I had the opportunity to see the guys checking that transaxle out. Yeah. And the condition it was in was Absolutely remarkable, and uh, I believe there's only one part that needed replacing in the transaxle. And she was a big hit. And it was a huge hit. Yeah, you would have thought that the axles punching through the side of the transaxle would do serious, serious mm -hmm. damage. But look, that, Brad said he is going to get the uh, housing crack tested once he gets back there. But visually, there was no, um, there was there wasn't even a, a fin broken off that transaxle. Of the new elements in this year, I mean, obviously the Mustang is the most obvious one. And in the same way the ZB passed its test, with Shane taking both poles, both race wins last year, and obviously uh, different teams all getting their cars in the 10 last year with the ZB. Mm. This year there's only two teams running Mustangs, and both of them had cars in there. And, mm. and you know, it was terrific to see for Cam Waters. It's his fifth podium place. But certainly a demonstrably strong one as well. Mm. Um, Chaz obviously had some bad luck. I mean, it was a, you know you can't see those things ever. And, and while a lot of people have maligned maybe Tickford for poor control, it was obviously a, a, an unsafe release. But it wasn't in terms of an unsafe release 
normally as they are? It was quite complicated because uh, picking under safety car, pit lane gets very, very crowded and people in front of Chaz were doing some double stacking. Uh, Tyre bundles were not in their usual spot. The photographs that uh, I've taken and studied, you can see that Chaz starts to come out of his pit bay with Todd Kelly well, well behind. It was safe when he started. Todd. Rick. Uh, Rick. Sorry, yeah, Yeah. Rick Rick Kelly. Um, We've all done that one, trust me. (laughs) Uh, So Chaz started when it was safe, but because of the tyre bundles and other things in the way, it didn't have a clean exit of his pit bay. And that's what slowed him down, and that's what created the mayhem. Yeah, and I think it's that thing where, um, you know, Matt, who's the uh, crew chief now and, and the car controller, it's his first year full-time in it. He was filling in last year for um, Chris O'Toole, um, but it's his responsibility now. Now, it looked to me as though, you know, when the car was pulled back, maybe there wasn't an instruction to Chaz, no, hold, 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 which yeah. it should have been. Uh, you know, the exaggerator, we've heard the exaggerator say, Jeff Gretsch, sort of the way, go, 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 and all those sort of things. You know, unfortunately, when you're new in the job, maybe relatively new in the job, maybe you just don't realise that you've got to accept. And so Chaz, you know, he's going, and then he stopped the ball back, mm. and he's actually gone when yeah. maybe he shouldn't have. And Chaz went and apologised to Rick after the race, so yeah. clearly he felt like it was his fault. What I did love about it, though, is as soon as that contact happened, Rick didn't lift off and say, oh, I'll let you through. He just kept driving on through. He, he did not... Uh, Brake lights on, off. And, yeah, know. there was there, there was certainly a, an indication in my eyes that he said, well, you've done the damage now, I'm just going to plough on in. What struck me was, amongst all of the mayhem, the aggression of the other cars in the queue behind... To get round. The, the pushing and shoving, thinking, this is a passing opportunity. Mm, yeah. Especially because they knew the race was going to go time certain, given the delayed start. So, you know, it was the final pit stop, and given the competitiveness of the field, they realised that this was the opportunity to to make some ground. Okay, we'll be back in a few minutes. Back with our roundtable discussion re the. 2019 Adelaide 500. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks, everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck for Daniel Ricciardo's old man to have found a few mates that tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Hi, I'm Jack LeBrock from Truck Assist Techno Racing. Welcome to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars, having a uh, discussion post-Adelaide 500, just looking at some of the various elements. Now, you know, we've talked about the Mustang and how it's, uh, you know, out there well and truly in the same way as Zeb did. First hit out, bang, and it's it's shown its speed. Suggestions, and maybe even there's a story, in fact, I think that uh, Foxtel are trying to suggest that... um, Roland Dane is calling for parity adjustment, and from the conversations that I know Craig and Unfair I had... Unfair advantage, I think, was the quote. Yeah. And if we think back 12 months ago, of course, 
Um, the thing that came out of Adelaide was the realisation by the Ford teams in particular, and also the Nissan team, I think, as well, yeah. the discovery that so much of the panel work and the bolt-ons of the uh, new Commodore, the ZB, was plastic. Yeah. And so suddenly by Grand Prix time, they were all rushing off to make new panels. Now, yeah. I don't think that's going to be happening by anybody now. But there seems to be a difference here, sort of thing, between the two models and introductions. Depends what uh, what colour blood you've got, doesn't it? Holden blood or Ford blood. Uh, different tribes have a different understanding of the history of the sport. Uh, Ford fans would think that Ford has always been on the back foot, so now it's our turn to have an advantage. Holden fans would see it to the exact opposite. Peter took a great photo this weekend just on the Mustangs, and it's better if you explain what you were doing between the two Mustangs out of the two different stables, uh, DJR Team Penske Shell V-Power Racing, for you, Ryan, and uh, also from Tickford. What struck me was the, the workmanship in the DJR Team Penske cars. Uh, the engine bays are so tidy. If you look at where the master cylinders normally sit, hang on, they're not there high in the usual spot. Uh, the engineering has tidied it up, tucked them down lower... Um, it's just a very clean engine bay. And in the garage next door, the Tickford garage, it's a bit cluttered. Uh, and some of these components sit much taller up than, than where you'd expect. Uh, so that attention to detail pays on the track. And it, it, a very well-credentialed engineer did say to us, Tony, didn't it? It's not the error, it's the ballast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, installations, you know, usually have variations on sort of a thing. I, I think more to the point was the fact that both at Phillip Island and here, that clearly Scotty um, and Fabian, I mean, Fabian uh, had a, a raw draw in some ways because getting pinged for a start, which, you know, clearly was warranted. But um, those two cars clearly had a speed advantage over everybody else. Yeah. And... Um, that's something that the Tickford guys are still got to work on. Um, I don't think it'll hinder them not being as clean. It's certainly... Roger Penske has a long-held, you know, if it looks right, it is right sort of attitude, and which is why when you look at IndyCar pits and you, you, you're looking around the IndyCars, and you, well, they're all the same chassis sort of thing, but hang on, no, those ones look sharper. And because Penske has always had chrome-plated suspension arms... And it just makes them look zing more than the others. There's no real difference in them, but it's just the way in which they do it. Um, looking around, I mean, we, we spoke with Scott Sinclair, the technical manager of the uh, Kelly Racing Team. They, they're coming to grips with their aero package. They changed it. They've had the same for a number of years. Four years, would it be? Five, maybe. Yeah. Um, so now they're uh, having to relearn that. And uh, they, they learnt a lot at Phillip Island. Um, they certainly, Scott, sort of seemed to indicate that they've got a lot of work to do on it. Yeah, and in the interview you'll hear in the, the coming weeks, he said, we've put a lot more on the nose. Mm. And that's a completely change in the way we're going to uh, engineer the car now. Mm. So they, they've probably got a bit of work to do. And what I also found interesting was uh, we spoke with uh, Ty Anderson, Anderson from Modec, yeah. who was... Said so it's a firmware upgrade, it's a, a change to the uh, software, but there was very, very big differing opinions about... Uh, the degrees, the, yeah. Yeah, and the ECU control and the changes that were made. 
that's also an interesting situation where teams aren't necessarily all on the same page of why was this done when you're doing other things to make things simpler. Yeah, in fact, garage doors apart, one team was very much of a mind of why have they stuffed us up so late introducing this new Motec uh, ECU, whereas Scott Sinclair waxes lyrical about what a great job supercars have done. So in contrast now, whether that's organisation, maybe to a degree it is, because obviously the most complete team in pit lane is the uh, Kelly Racing Team. They build more of their car than anybody else does in their own buildings. Yeah, it was interesting this weekend. I felt even more like they are the odd ones out now in this series. Now that Ford's back in a you know, official capacity, let's call it, you've got you know the two Ford-supported teams. Twenty-three Red is now within Tickford. You've got the Holden teams, which you know the majority come from Triple Eight, and then you've got this team running, you know, the. Nissan Ultimas without factory support and they felt somewhat anonymous this weekend and yeah they just felt that they're the odd ones out it's a, it's a strange dynamic there we should actually talk about some of the new combinations and and there was one particular standout uh, or no in fact two that, that really strike me one is the Todd Hazelwood yes for the very first time he's in a ZB he's in a an X888 car or triple eight built car um, and he has qualified in the top 10. Yeah. And not only had qualified in the top 10, kept it in the top stayed 10 there. Yeah. And, and stayed there for the race. And, and, and raced, you know, the likes of Wink Up and yeah. went wheel to wheel with them and did a very good job and on home soil as well. So, you know, that was definitely the, probably the standout performance from the Sunday. And, you know, let's not forget just starting a second season, that you know, that group of rookies last year, um, you know, this is a, Big year for them, and he definitely stepped up. And if you look at Sunday, Shane and Jamie in the top ten, you had Mark Winterbottom, Triple Eight car, you had uh, Todd Hazel with Triple Eight car, uh, Jack LeBrock has some issues, yep. and uh, so he wasn't in the top ten, but uh, that's all of the Triple Eight cars, bar one, were in the top, in that top ten group, so mm. uh, that was also quite fascinating to see. Um, also, uh, Erebus. Where did uh, you know? Where did you actually think Erebus yeah. fell in the very disappointing weekend? Given the talk that Dave Reynolds was a championship well, contender this season, if that's the case, you've really got to start strong in Adelaide and be amongst the top. But you know, qualifying was okay, but they seemed to just not have the race pace. And um, well, I, I think I mean I'm not making an excuse for them, but a, a reason is that. Um, their team leader, and a very strong team leader, is Barry Ryan. Um, he, he left the track on Saturday, not because of his own free will. Mm. He and his wife, and she does corporate work for Erebus, they left because their property is threatened yes. in bushfires. So the, the man who has largely built that team wasn't there. And I'm sure that was not you know, his desire, but you know, he's got two teenage daughters and he wants to go and care for them. So that was that. Mm. Um, yeah, but certainly. But a team shouldn't fall apart by when one person... No, no, no. The people are all in place to do the job, and certainly they did that. Mm. And they got both their cars in the top ten for the mm-hmm. shootout and all those sort of things, so that was there. You know, a minor hiccup during their day. Um, well, the safety car screw. Yeah, yeah. It also shows the increased expectations on them this year and how that team's grown. You sure, know. yeah. Um, a few years ago, a top ten result would have been fantastic for Erebus, so... 
It just yeah. shows the, the development. Yeah. Um, the one thing we should actually talk about now is Saturday race and the heat. Mm. Um, the one real casualty of it was the um, Cam Waters car, because yes. Cam actually was stopped by supercars because yeah. his, his cool suit failed. It was brought in, they had to change, I think they changed virtually all the components in it mm. to make it work again. Pete, you were out in it. Can you give us some ideas about being out there? Because we three, well, we don't just you know, sort of take it easy in the media room, you know, it's, you know, we've got to keep an eye on things, but you were there. We've got air conditioning. <laughs> the Sunday race, thank goodness, was held later. Uh, if it had started at its usual time, I think you would have seen quite a few drivers not make it to the end. Mm. Uh, whether it's cool suits or a cool suit can't really effectively work the whole of the race anyway. Yeah. Uh, so you often see drivers who are affected by the heat towards the end. Uh, I think they were just very lucky that they scheduled the event uh, in that format. I, I mean, without being too protective of the Grand Prix, or not the Grand Prix, but the Adelaide 500 management, when you say pretty lucky, I, I mean, I think they did schedule for a reason. And mm. historically, there have been hot times here. So mm. I think it was good, good sound thinking. Uh, it was interesting seeing the, some of the Mustangs across the weekend uh, where their windows started intact, but by the end of the weekend it was Swiss cheese as they kept cutting more holes in the window to get the airflow through. I'm told they're going to stay for the Grand Prix as well. Oh, OK. <laughs> um, it does make you pause and wonder about uh, a summer series, uh, how feasible that would be. And I've got uh, misgivings about this whole cool suit thing. Um, with uh, with Cam Waters, they put the dry ice in, you know, 30 seconds too early or too late or something like that. If you've got such a fine margin for error uh, about the viability of someone to be able to race because of dry ice, surely with all of the technology available to us, there's a better way. Mm. One of the things, we had a conversation with Roland Dane about it. One of the things was... Uh, that people talk about air conditioning and it's the size of the cabin that's a killer for us you just can't do it it's too big it's not like a gt car where you know they're two seaters and it's a small cabin mm. our things are large um it, i'd hate to see them if they were building little cocoons where you know they were protected in that little, uh, you know i i think that there does seem to me work need to be done um in keeping the heat out of the car I was told an interesting story about uh, someone took a pyro on the uh, floor of uh, Steve Johnson's Touring Car Masters Mustang, and it was 82 degrees on the floor. Now, fortunately, they're in those cars for only 25 minutes. The other part of the equation is, so I think, you know, we're not going to see air conditioning in our cars. And, that you know, when, when the DTM run around with air conditioners, so, yeah, okay, they're smaller cabins, um, and the, um, they, they don't have the heat issues we do when it talks about the summer series the thing there of course is craig that um it's not going to intend that they're going to be running in the peak of day or anything like it no and and roland was uh, very forthright in his answer which you'll hear in the coming weeks about that very question and uh, let's say that i certainly was in no doubt on roland's position when i uh, got the answer to that question and as I said, you'll hear that in coming weeks. It, but uh, yeah, I have the same misgivings, hence the question. It was interesting, just one second, Adrian, on that subject. We went to the Audi press conference and heard one of the uh, Chinese drivers talking about, you know, being able to cope with the heat in the car for 25 minutes. It was 55 degrees or something. And I thought, 
Crikey, have you talked to the guy driving these? Because they're in there for two years. Uh, two years, two hours, rather. And, and um, you know, it just was a whole different thing. But, of course, they're in and out in two hours. And, yes, it, you know, it doesn't work. But it leads to another problem, as we saw on Sunday, is that if you go towards more twilight racing, you start later. If there's a delay, as we saw on Sunday, you know, track issue, they need fixing, you're going to run time certain. And, you know fans aren't a fan of that and you know you're limiting yourself not all tracks have adequate lighting so you're putting yourself in this position where you risk losing a lot of race laps over a season so you know to avoid the heat in the summer series you're going to create another problem and that's why there's a lot of question marks around how that would work there's always going to be things like that that come up if you leave yourself with such a small window of trying to get a race in, you, you put yourself at that risk. We'll come back after the break and cover some of the other issues and we'll just have a little review of some of the teams who performed well, particularly on the Sunday race. So after the break, we'll be back with our roundtable on the post-Adelaide 500. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we're able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do um, take the win off him. So, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Will Brown, co-driver of the Penrite Racing number 99 car for Anton Di Pasquale. Welcome to Inside Supercars. Welcome back. It's worthwhile just considering that race today that so many new combinations, obviously Cam Waters, like everyone else in a Ford, is in a Mustang. He did particularly well, qualified well, raced well, and was challenged. And to finish, you know, just behind Scotty, in front of Shane Van Gisbergen, dynamite job. Um, some of the other ones in there were, in fact, Tim and, and Nick, the Brad Jones pair, and, of course, Mark Winterbottom. Hmm. Adrian, that's a new combination. Yeah, a new manufacturer. First time he's driven a Holden Commodore supercar in a race. And, you know, to have the power steering issue that he did on the Sunday in qualifying, start from the back of the grid and, and finish well in the top ten, beating Jamie Winkup, pretty impressive. And great start for that single-car team, which, you know, Charlie's put in a lot of investment over the off-season and... They seem to have done well. Is there anything they haven't changed in that team? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, Charlie. The transporter. But, and the trucking. Yeah. Oh, okay. But, like, it was famous previously for being that bright yellow. It's not even the same colours. Yeah. So you say the transporter, I'm sure they've changed the colour of it. Everything's new. Yeah, but it, the problem that Phil was describing with the power steering, it sounded just like the uh, issues that Triple Eight were having last year at Bathurst. They had some contact on Saturday, which caused a bent steering rack. They then replaced the steering rack with a steering rack that just didn't feel right. And at that point, they had exhausted their supply of steering racks. So they actually borrowed a rack from Triple Eight to get them through uh, the Sunday race. And obviously, it did a good job. One of the interesting asides was that as regular listeners to Inside Supercars and are following this category would know that Jamie Wincup and Mark Winterbottom have been duelling for the best part of 20 years, They grew up in cars. Yeah. Mm. And, and not the best of friends. <laughs> well, yeah, but they, they have a healthy respect for each yeah. other. 
And one of the interesting times and moments was in the press conference when Jamie was asked for the first time ever he's been able to see the data from Mark Winterbottom's car and uh, ask whether anything you learn from it. Well, not really, I think, was Jamie's sort of answer. But he's a good driver and he'll go far. Right? Yes. <laughs> was that was gold. Uh, there was another colourful moment, Adrian. You, it was your highlight of the weekend, I think, in the Saturday press conference. Yeah, we had a drunken fan intruding into the press conference, which I've never seen that before, and it was certainly interesting. He tried to take control of the press conference, asking questions and videos before he was politely asked to leave. And, yeah... Um, first press conference of the year and um, the highlight already. Uh, you mentioned in your post-race interview that you didn't quite have anything for Scott, but hoping tomorrow <laughs> to have uh, a little bit for him tomorrow. All right, keep going this way, buddy. Watch out. Cheers, mate. This way. What's up? Thank you, mate. It's been... Hey, that's... Uh... Serious fan it's access. Harder out of the track. Cars. Harder out of the car than in the car. So the dehydration's <laughs> a killer. <laughs> At least someone's taken on some fluids today. Yeah, yeah. But one of the highlights also of that was the way in which Jamie acted. Yeah, he was great. He handled it with class and he was actually willing to answer the guy's questions, which was <laughs> above and beyond. Yeah, yeah. Another press conference that really caught everyone's attention and we'll be playing some clips to that, uh, if not on this show later, but certainly in the weeks to come, was the press conference with all the Ford bigwigs, Peter. I know you're itching at the bit. It was fascinating. It started off with, we got lots of good news, lots of great news. The car looks exactly like a Mustang and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, and the second half of the press conference was really about all of the challenges about do they have to change the roll hoop and everything like that. So to fit the Camaro. To fit the Camaro <laughs> uh, and to make these things look more like their original cars. Uh, I'm sure that uh, uh, it didn't turn out the way they would have planned it. But the car doesn't look that different to the NASCAR. There's actually quite a striking resemblance when you yeah, see the two weird. side by side. But then when the road car rolls out behind them, you realise there's a bit of a height difference. Well, not with the current model. You know, the, yeah. Both the current model and the supercar and the NASCAR do have a big drop-away nose. They yes, you know, sure do. And, and they'd be heading for... What's the, what's the nose surgery? What's it called? It's got some... Rhinoplasty. Yeah. Yes, exactly. You know. <laughs> but, you know, I'm not criticising the look of the Mustang. I think they look fantastic. And I, I'm... You know, a good horse is never a bad colour. This car's already got two wins, you know. And it'll take some getting used to. I remember yeah. the start of the F1 season last year when everyone was complaining about the halo. And by mid-season, you almost forgot they were there. Yeah. I think the other uh, bit about the Ford press conference was a magic moment, which you know the CEO of Supercars may like to wish that he could turn back the clock and not have said what he said, when asked about the way in which the manufacturer... Well, council... he wasn't even asked about it. He no. just offered up the... Yes. He offered up a, a comment, which certainly took us all by surprise. And particularly Mark uh, Rushbrook, who is the Ford uh, performance racing manager. Um, and <laughs> when he heard that Seema say that, uh, oh, we've taken your idea, Mark, and we're using it and we're looking at doing it here. And, and Mark Rushbrook had an interesting facial expression, but, you know, so much for... for Which uh, was about the Manufacturers' Council. And, mm. and uh, yeah, people have said, does that just mean Ford's running the sport now? Um, so from yesterday, a, a clean green race, which for a large part was fairly boring and didn't seem like there were many people on different strategies. 
There were a few offered up because of that pit lane uh, fracas between uh, Rick Kelly and Chas Mostert. Um, then some variations happened. There were a few people who got done over, as they always are. Um, but certainly the, the fast guys and both um, the Triple Eight and DJR Team Penske cars, they were at the top of the pile. Mm. And then Cam Waters um, was up there with them. Yeah. You know, um, so it was, a, it was a good race in that respect. Yeah, in terms of a pecking order, you know, we expected to see DJRT, Petsky and Triple Eight up there. But when you consider the season that Tickford had last year, winning just one race, they were definitely the big improvers. And it seems like, you know, the Mustang and the changes with the Springs and the Transaxle has been a good reset for them. And, you know, all, you know, uh, Chaz and Cam were on the pace all weekend and, and they look competitive. So this should be a return to, you know, the results we used to see with when they were Ford Performance Racing and ProDrive. The other thing that we should probably mention about was um, a magic moment, I think it was on Thursday, or certainly Friday morning, was Cam Waters, when a little bit of Speedway came into the driving. He had a wonderful... Oh, it was turn eight, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. A wonderful moment where it was a control slide. It was a little bit of drift. Yeah. uh, This weekend reinforced something that, you know, he really could be getting it together and really stepping up. And I thought maybe we saw that a bit in Chaz's performance, that he felt the pressure from Cam. Now that Mark's left the team, Chaz is what the veteran, he, if you like, team in, in terms of who's been there the longest. So if you ignore Lee Holdsworth and uh, Will Davison being in the stable. Yeah, well, well, Will's sort of a satellite operation, but not really. And Lee's the newbie in the team. Chaz and Cam are the established ones who have been there the longest. So... It's an interesting dynamic, especially with the rumours around where Chaz could be moving to next season. So it'll be an interesting inter-team battle between those two. Well, the other point about it, of course, is that Will's the winningest driver in that team. Yes. I mean, while Chaz obviously has a, a Bathurst win to his name, yeah. Will's got a few. And he's got some you know, serious win lists. Yeah, and it clearly, clearly had a positive effect on 23 Reds' performance because that was their you know best result ever yeah. on the Saturday race, so they've clearly stepped up, and, and that's why it sort of distorts a bit the, the Mustang results. When the new Commodore rolled out last year, there were so many of them, and, you know, they couldn't all be on the podium, but with the Mustang, it's the two, you know, two very high-caliber teams that have them. There's no real backmarker Mustangs on the grid. Yeah. So it just, you know, shows that, you know, they're few in numbers, but they're all going to be competitive. Yeah, indeed. Um, the interesting thing is to think about, I mean, most of the other racing, I mean, in the development series, we have Bryce Forward step up. He's in a Nissan. And, and certainly he and Zane Goddard were fantastic. They both had a couple of, well, Bryce had a couple of wins. Brody Kostecki had a win. And they're all guys that haven't had that sort of same winning feel about, although Brody did late season last year. But suddenly, you know, there's a little bit of excitement, but there's no star in in that series. The absence of Paul Dumbrell is a real big factor there, because he was always the benchmark guy that the the new up-and-coming drivers would benchmark themselves against. And and, and there's only a couple of veterans in Ash Walsh and Dean Fiore who, you know, they haven't had the success in the main game that Dumbrell had. So it's a very different dynamic in Super 2, and... since we saw the Hazelwoods and De Pasquale step up, there's, you know, that generation after them coming through. So a lot of new, new names to get used to. Well, there were two drivers who yesterday in the first race 
um, that they fell by the wayside, one of whom because of somebody else's actions, and that was Thomas Randall and Kurt Kostecki. Mm. Now, they were probably seen you know, as the hot young guns who were going to be at the front row. And both in factory outfits. Yeah. One at Triple Eight, the other at uh, Tickford. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Certainly, I think in the case of Kurt, he's probably going to feel the pressure a bit. Yes. Um, He's got a very young co-driver in the second Triple Eight run car. Um, Thomas is running a solo Tickford car. And, you know, he's case-hardened in Europe and he's certainly ready to be the the star of the series. But... um, when you're taken out of a race, it's a bit hard to do that sort of thing. But the other, looking at the other races, Touring Car Masters, Steve Johnson won three races. Well, he's the you know, reigning champion, so mm-hmm. you know, and it's terrific for Steve. I mean, I'm sure you're all of the mind to have him winning. There is terrific, absolutely, you know, for his sake. Um, Audis, yes, you know, Jeff Emery is the GD champion. No surprises there. Anything else stand it? Ryle Harris was very fast in the Touring Car Masters and in Utes. The Utes. We celebrated when the Utes actually completed <laughs> lap two yes. without a crash. <laughs> no, that, that, and that's a hard sell, isn't it? Because uh, we spoke to Kurt Zuzuki and uh, who at that stage was going, oh, we had a hiccup in our first race. And they pretty much, until that last race, had hiccups at every race, yeah. which is a continuation of a theme from last year. Mm. It wasn't quite the action-packed carnage weekend that we've seen in Adelaide before Um, you know we don't always want to see that anyway and that's probably a good thing but to me it just showed that you know there might not be the depth in those classes that we've had previously and certainly some of the grid numbers were a bit too small. Yeah okay well let's look at the overall event because the biggest change for the first time really in a long long time is um, the uh, stage for the concerts, post-event or post-race concerts, and um, <laughs> for the first time ever, we could really hear them because they came right across the paddock and the pits and the whole thing. What was your feeling about it, Peter? It's like they did a, a renovation of the whole precinct. Uh, new flagpoles, new flags, uh, painted the curbs for the colour of the new sponsor, uh, moved the concert stage. It created a different buzz about the whole place. Uh, previously, at the end of the day's racing, the crowds wandered off to the concert ground, which is a, a little bit away. Uh, but it kept the buzz close to the pit area, and it was really cool. I liked it. Okay. Adrian? Uh, personally, I, I'm not such a fan. I, I think it's a bad move. I think it, it's a reaction to the Fringe and other festivals which have taken over the city at the same time. Uh, Adrian is an Adelaide person yes. and has been living with the Grand Prix since how old were you? Uh, I was three at the first Grand Prix. Right, three. Mm. Mm. And so he's grown up. This is a tradition. This is, this is not an Italian thing where you're just stuck in the mould. Don't change anything. I love it the way it is. No, I, I think... No, you're the biggest advocate for changing the date. Yes, I think it needs to move away from clashing with these festivals and I think this is a reaction to try and move away from them and I'm not sure if it's going to work in the long term. Um, I I have my doubts. I'm prepared to wait and see though. Um, They they got a great act on the Sunday night and a big international name. And and the crowd was flocking in to see it. Today. So So it was the 9,000? Because what, we were 21,000 down... Going yeah, which into was Sunday? yes, which was weather affected. The the weather on Friday and and Saturday were 
awful. So, you know, that was always going to have an effect. But yeah, I, I'm. I have to wait and see. I'm not sure. I'm a fan of it. I think it just is the background that the fringe back in the day was a much smaller event. Yes. Well, it used to and clash with Warm Adelaide as well as the Adelaide Festival. Yeah, it's as a result of um, when the track was downsized, the Clipsaw, as it was known, still sort of ruled that east end part of Adelaide and, and it sort of rolled into the city. The Fringe and the other festivals are sort of encroached on that. So, you know, Adelaide 500 has had to sort of move away from it to this new precinct. And my concern is it's been sort of taken over within the city. It doesn't spill over as much as it used to. Okay. All right. Um, just looking a bit bigger on the picture, shall we, for the year. It's, it seems as though, you know, the, the, the biggest change was maybe Tickford stepped up where they'd been, mm. you know, in, in last year, or last two years, in fact, they've been pretty well lost for them. Um, now, suddenly, they've got certainly three drivers... Uh, in Will, Cam and Chaz. Um, Lee, so far, has bad luck, bad management, don't know what it is, mm. but two successive days, he may be trying a little bit wee hard. Yeah, he might need some time to adjust. Yeah. yeah. Um, and obviously, uh, um, you've got young, uh, hungry drivers in Chaz and Cam, but uh, uh, Will is wanting to reprove himself and make sure that he continues. He's got a two-year with... Phil Mundy, um, to drive the Milwaukee Mustang. And judging from what I've heard today from people from Milwaukee, they're very happy with what's happened. Yeah. Um, looking at the overall season, have you got any predictions, Adrian, on who you see playing for the for the game at the end of the year? I think, again, it'll be the DJR Team Penske versus Red Bulls, with Tickford as the best of the rest. Yep. Hopefully Erebus is up there as well. That they had a bit of an up and down weekend as we discussed, but hopefully they're there. My concern after that is there were some teams who just really were anonymous this weekend. Gary Rogers Motorsport. Yep. Very disappointing weekend. Very young team now. Very young team and you just wonder what a big hole Garth Tander's absence leaves and you know, that that's a big rot job for James Goldie and Richie Stanaway and you know, they were dicing in the Sunday race and they're at that same level but not we'd like to see that team 18th 19th was the result then. yeah and that's not ideal for you know new naming rights sponsor as we said Kelly Racing you know that's going to be an interesting season now that the factory money's gone even walking to your Andretti yeah absolutely and this is a track where they have been fantastic previously James yeah. Courtney won back to back years and and they were a bit absent. Again, it's it's hard to tell given the technical changes in the off-season. We'd probably have to give them some time. But, you know, we rolled out. And, again, we're talking about DJR Team Penske and Triple Eight. They really are the class of the field. And behind that, it just seems like it's, a, you know, whoever gets it right on the weekends. Did you see anything different, Peter? Um, my opening remarks was the, the contrast about the excitement of the new changes and everything like that. And But the contrast was, it's very similar to before. Uh, so I very much agree. The thing I leave this weekend thinking is, this reminded me of, I think it was 03 or 04 in Adelaide when Ambrose just walked away from the field. And, you know, then soon the talk of him going to NASCAR started and he eventually did it. And I just wonder, you know, is this series going to be able to keep Scotty McLaughlin if he continues at this rate, keeps winning? You know, Penske love him. 
for obvious reasons and you know he loves NASCAR he has an American fiance it seems like the stars are aligning for him to potentially move on and if he keeps putting in performances like this he, he tries to flat bat it every time he's asked the question he is yeah and but I'm concentrating on what I'm doing here yeah. and this is what it is and this is what it is and this is what it doesn't is doesn't that sound Penske yeah. it, it, <laughs> it feels very Ambrose-ish this whole situation and I think we might see him move on over there I'd like to actually break some news. Maybe it's not news to everybody, but you know, to a bunch of us it was, that uh, Sean Seymour, when asked the question, because I've been concerned, the way in which Garth Tan has been treated now, obviously Gary has his way of operating and he's perfectly entitled to it, and I don't begrudge him that. I, don't, I honestly think Gary Rogers thought Garth Tander was going to be at the team in 2019. I honestly think that. Okay. You, you you have mail to the contrary, obviously. No, I don't have that sort of mail to the contrary. But the thing that I was uh, delighted, because I went to Sean Seymour to say, I think something dreadful has been done here to the last of the 90s drivers. Pressure's off. We've got to do him within 72 hours. The last of the uh, t- uh, 1990 drivers um, was summarily dismissed over summer, and Sean Seymour told me he is going to be awarded and lauded praise shown up to be what a star he was and for our series in Perth his hometown mm. they tried to do a, a wild card for him Roland Dane uh, he was asked a question if Triple Eight could and of course he's, he's their now driver for Shane in the Enduros uh, Roland would love to have done it but unfortunately they just don't have anything, any metal available to stick him in it's such a shame when you look back at how we lauded Craig Lowndes exactly um, from yeah. his from Townsville when he made the announcement to Newcastle and that was such a great tribute that weekend yeah. and then in the off season Garth's just let go you know with a press release yeah. and that's it yeah and, and of course Garth is still one of the hard men I mean, he is, if you're driving in this category and you're looking at him, you go, please, not be Garth, not be Garth, not be Garth. Yeah, and no, I, I felt we missed the presence of Garth, Craig, and even Michael Caruso this weekend. Three hard charges who, if there was a gap, they would go for it. Yeah. And this is the type of event where they thrived, and we missed that this weekend in that sort of race where it can become a bit processional. Yeah, uh, there was a rather interesting comment by Shane Van Gisbergen in the... Uh, Saturday press conference when he said, oh, you know, if I'm not having a good weekend, I'm still on the podium. Not that bad, is it? Yeah. I feel sorry for the other 21. Yes. Which is the bit I like. That yes. was the kicker in the tail. Yeah. After, the, after the break, we'll come back to sum, sum up on a Adelaide weekend that uh, went fairly quickly, I feel. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think, is a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Fiat Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation, post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Tony Delberto from Shell V-Power Racing. Welcome to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. We're with Peter Norton, Adrian Mussolino, Craig Ravel and Tony Whitlock. Our final thoughts on this, the 2019 kickoff, and how you saw it, Peter. My final thoughts are that I'm, I'm looking forward to see how Red Bull respond. Uh, it's not in their DNA to sit back and sulk. 
uh, they dust themselves off and think about, well, we've got to step up. Uh, I'm looking forward to watching that. Okay. Adrian? I'm looking forward to the parody, parody debates which are about to kick off because, you know, the rivalry between AAA DJ and Penske has been growing the last few years, especially when Ludo moved across. And I think this could really kick start it again. And um, if the Mustang keeps winning, that P word is going to be shouted. Mm-hmm. Craig? It was a funny thing that happened to us. We were doing our rounds at the end of the day and we come back to one of the other teams who said, oh, what did he say to you? As if they were keeping tabs on who we were speaking to. Yeah. And uh, so I'm looking forward to finding out when I'm not at the Grand Prix, but you are. I'm looking forward to finding out what the other teams are asking you about what who said to who. Okay, all right. My final thought is about... The young drivers, and, you know, there's obviously a change in the guard with Craig and Garth gone, the last of the 90s drivers. Our old man of the series is James Courtney. It's 10 years since he won a series. And looks fitter than half the younger men. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> yes, much. indeed. Yes. But um, the wonderful thing is that there are drivers such as, you know, Cam Waters and even uh, Todd Hazelwood. I mean, you know, I, I can only think, and we all know this, that what happens when you get to one level... You get the confidence to go to the next one and the next and the next. And that once you get a taste for it and being in a top 10 shootout, you enjoy that. And I, I think that that could well happen. Certainly, uh, if they've got the connections with Triple Eight, Av, as for instance, Team 18 and Mark Winterbottom. And you see maybe these drivers who have slumped slightly, Mark Winterbottom and Lee Holdsworth, that the resurrection of the older drivers but the young ones coming up as well. And by crikey, you know, uh, Deep Pasquale, I mean, stunning young driver. Yeah, the Mustang's probably stolen the headlines, but the thing, the other big talking point from the weekend is the real generation change that's happened in the off-season. You really noticed it without Craig Lowndes and Garth Tanner there. And and now, you know, James Courtney's the oldest driver in the field and Rick Kelly's the veteran um, as soon as the most race starts. And... And it's just completely moved on. Well, it's almost that thing also, for instance, when you look at Cam Waters. Yeah. He had Shane on his tail. Yeah. And we know what happens in years past. Shane won't be on the tail the whole time. He'll be through. Yeah, absolutely. They are stepping up. As you said, Deep Pasquale, Cam Waters, you know, Chaz Mostert, we sort of, you know, he's under pressure from Cam Waters. And they really are. It really is a generation change that we're seeing. And it's fascinating. What's a- remarkable about Cam Waters now coming of age, so to speak, how many years ago did he win the drive at Bathurst through that talent uh, the reality yeah, TV yeah. show? He's been around a while. Yeah. Well, we forget with Shane Van Gisbergen, for example, he's not that old. You know, if anything, he's part of this new generation, but he started so young that he's been around a decade already. So... Um, it's going to take some getting used to to think of you know the Courtney's and the Rick Kellys as the older veterans and and Jamie Winkup and Will Davison are in that mix as well. Yeah, um, the other because none of us are getting any older. So what's going on? True. <laughs> One of the other interesting things in a press conference today was Shane making mention that not only had um, 
he been at Rob Wilson's driving school over the Christmas break, mm. but also that Cam Waters had been there, Dave, and, and Thomas Randall, and I believe that there were a couple of others as well. I mean, this uh, Rob Wilson is a New Zealand driver. He's been over in Europe for the best part of 30 or 40 years. Um, Ron um, Toronak first uh, suggested that Paul Dumbrell, when he was driving back with Larry, go to him. I can remember vividly writing about it. I broke the news almost. I think he was going to Rob Wilson. And uh, he was lampooned almost by other drivers for going, oh, he needs some driving lessons, doesn't he? Well, you know, most of the Formula One drivers go there. Well, this is a big thing with this new generation is they've embraced coaching, mm. driver coaching. Um, if you look at Anton Di Pasquale, he works very closely with Paul Morris. Yeah. In you know, Paul Morris is essentially like a almost like a personal trainer would yeah. uh, for a footy player or a coach, and they've all embraced it. And you can see, and I think Shane mentioned in the press conference that driving behind Cam, he could see the little tips that they both yes, got yes, in, that's in the UK, and that's you know, drivers of previous generations would not admit that sort of thing if they did receive any sort of coaching. And they'd be uh, almost told off by their bosses exactly. for doing it. The other interesting aspect of it, and which one I've known about for a long time, is that Rob Wilson just sticks them in a road-going Vauxhall yes. Astra. So it's no fire-breathing car they learn to handle. It's they just learn new habits. Same with Paul Morris mm. and his normal complex. They yeah. they run around on you know sk- a skid pad, you know, in um, V8 Commodores and things and. You know, he teaches and techniques and, um, we, you know, if you look at Deep Pasquale, he, you know, mm. he's a gun. You know, he, to me, he reminds me of a young wink up and, yeah. and I think we're seeing the fruits of that mm. driver coaching. It's refreshing to see. I think back in the day, it transformed Dumbrell's career. Yeah. He was very erratic and uh, sometimes dangerous before that coaching. He came back much more settled and focused and... I've started to get results. The other thing that's rather nice probably about this generation is the new young generation is where they might post on Facebook but, and, and read social media, but they don't pay any attention to it really. Whereas the previous generation, the, the guys who are in their late 20s, maybe early 30s, used to read it because I used to hear them all the time. Oh, someone had a gummy the other day. And, you know, it obviously played on their minds. And it might be early still, but they seem to get along pretty well with each other. So, (laughs) you know, give it a few years. You know, it's going to be fascinating to see which rivalries emerge from them. Well, it's been fascinating to get the insights and inside supercars. Uh, Thank you for joining us, Peter Norton, Adrian Marcelino, Tony Whitlock and Craig Ravel. And it's good night from me. And it's good night from him. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.